0: Well, good morning, church. It's great to be together again studying God's Word. A new series that we're going to launch into this morning, Keeping Your Joy, The Heartfelt Theology of an Isolated Prisoner. So this morning, I want to talk to you about the will of God and the joy of the Lord. Philippians 1, and let's just look at the first six verses. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul just had this special relationship with the church at Philippi, the first uh, congregation on the European continent, Philippi was the capital city of Macedonia, and the church was established there by Paul on his second missionary journey. You can read some of the details of that in Acts chapter 16. And it's, and it's some of the events behind Paul's going to Philippi that actually formed the first point of this morning's study. Point number one, I got into that quicker than usual, right? Notice the good fruit that flows from obeying God, even when you can't see the fruit at the time you obey. See, Paul had no plans whatsoever to visit Philippi, as far as we know. He was on his way to Asia. And all the text says about this trip to Asia is that Paul was, quotes, forbidden by the Spirit to go there. And so, still other plans were forming in Paul's mind when, you know this story, during the night he saw this vision, a man from Macedonia, waving his hands and saying, come over and help us. And that strange interruption, that's what led Paul and Silas over to Europe and the first place they arrived at was Philippi. You know the story, even if you can't place them all contextually, you know some of the things that happened there. They bumped into a small group of women right off the bat who held a regular prayer meeting by the river. And the Lord, it says, opened the heart of Lydia. Remember who sold fabric and purple dye And she received the gospel along with some of the others with her and formed the first tiny core church in Philippi, as far as we know. Then you remember Paul encountered a poor demon-possessed girl and she ran around after him everywhere Paul and Silas would go and minister. She was there and she would scream out, quote, these men are servants of the most high God. And they were. There was nothing untrue about her screams. The problem was she was being used by men who made money off the accuracy of her prophetic divinations. And the result was Paul and Silas were finding their gospel presentations turning into sort of a sideshow. And so we learn right away that the gospel the Gospel never works as a means to something else that it it can never be added to gain an audience the The truth is the message, and that's the most important thing so Paul eventually rebuked the demon, cast it out and and here's the reward for paul 's good deed. the men of course, who were making money off what the New Testament calls the spirit of divination in the girl, these men were furious at the loss of their income. And they screamed to have Paul and Silas thrown into prison. By the way, one of four times where it's recorded that Paul was in prison for declaring the gospel. Now, don't rush over this point. We're meant to learn right away Doing the right thing for the Lord doesn't always bring pleasant results. Doing the right thing for the Lord doesn't always bring pleasant results. Faithfulness, faithfulness in this world is frequently tested before it's rewarded. And then you remember what happened next. While singing praise songs in prison, The Lord sends this earthquake and Paul and Silas are miraculously set free. This is where that most famous Philippian convert ever, the jailer, who was about to slit his own throat. Because if any prisoners escape, Rome would slit his throat anyway. And so Paul says, no, no, don't kill yourself. He was actually going to kill himself. And Paul says, don't, we're all present, we're all accounted for. And then in what has to be one of the easiest cases of evangelism ever, this Philippian jailer begs Paul, please, just tell me, what must I do to be saved? There's an opening. Not only did the jailer come to believe, but his whole Family was saved with him. Now, I just marched real quick through a bunch of things that happened early in Paul's experience in Philippi. It's great reading. But here's the thing. Paul knows none of this. Paul knows none of this when God just puts roadblocks into Paul's prayed through, thought through plans to go to Asia. All he knows All he knows when he's forbidden to go to Asia is that God seems to be cutting off his dreams at the knees and ministry dreams to boot. What he wants to do, what he desires to do for the Lord, he's been told he can't do. God won't let him. But Paul, God bless him, He knows enough, he's learned enough to know that obedience to God will always be the right thing, even when it doesn't feel like the right thing at the moment. That's the point. Now, back to our opening text. Ten years later, most of those things I just talked about, ten years later, Paul is back in prison again. It's a Roman prison. And these precious saints at Philippi, they have just sent a man called Epaphroditus. They sent Epaphroditus to Paul with a gift to comfort him in his pain and suffering. It's mentioned just briefly in Philippians 4.18. So Epaphroditus comes and he ministers to Paul from the church at Philippi. But while there, he becomes deathly ill They're worried about him back in Philippi, but Epaphroditus, he recovers. And so Paul writes the church at Philippi, thanking them for their support, their prayers, their ministry, and the letter that he sent back to the church at Philippi with Epaphroditus. That's the letter we know and love as Philippians. Here's my point. In this, first, in this first point of the teaching. As you grow in the Lord. This is so important. As you grow in the Lord. You learn some things about his will. Not just what his will is. I don't mean that. But you learn some things about his will. You learn that it manifests itself in different ways at different times. Sometimes your deepest desires are an expression of God's will because because he gives you a love for his will before he calls you to walk in it. He gives you those desires in the first place. In other words, he gets your heart ready for following him by changing the things that bring you the most joy and satisfaction. So so he kind of loosens your roots where you presently are just to make it easier for you to follow him in some new direction. He gives you the desires and then he gives you the call. That's a beautiful thing. And I think of that as the easy way of walking in God's will. And remembering that we're dust, we're fallen, we're weak. Probably it's the most common way that God leads and directs his children. But it's not the only thing we learn about God's will. There are other times where in God's wisdom, known only to him, God knows it's not in our best interest to be easily led into his will. Sometimes he calls us against what are currently our deepest inclinations and passions and desires, before he changes our desires. And he, and he does that to teach people like me, self-denial, to test our faith, to deepen our trust when we don't have the natural inclination to start with. Maybe, maybe you're in a situation like that. You don't see the fruit of God's work at this present moment. And by God's design, his his present call his present leading you in the way you are right now it feels against the grain of everything that would bring you happiness and contentment and security and joy this this you see is the is the growth forcing will of the lord it's different God gives us the chance to prove, we used to sing the chorus eh, a long time ago, he gives us the chance to prove that his loving kindness is better than life as we presently experience it. Point number two. When you commit yourself to God's will, he will commit himself to your joy even when you don't feel that joy in the first steps of obedience. When you commit yourself to God's will, he will commit himself to your joy, even when you don't feel that joy in the first steps of your obedience. Remember, I didn't say comfort, I said joy. Here's where I get that, it's in Philippians 1, 1 to 4. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, To all the saints of Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. He says, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all of my remembrance of you. Look at always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer, making my prayer with joy. That last part, I make my prayer for you, he says, with, with joy. Give those words all the weight that they're meant to have. This is the first time Paul will mention his joy in this letter, but it's not the last. In fact, in this letter, Paul will use joy, rejoice, different forms of the word. He will do it 16 times. In a book that's only four chapters long. So joy dominates this letter. It's the theme of this letter. And yet, it doesn't really seem to fit. I mean, have you ever had a conversation with someone who's, who's, who has just found out he or she is going to die? I'm, now, we all know we're going to die. I, I don't mean that. We all know we could die at any time. But have you ever talked to someone who just found out that his death was imminent? That he was going to probably die soon? That's Paul. He writes this church at Philippi from a Roman prison. If tradition holds... He's chained to a Roman soldier, probably by each wrist. His feet may be shackled. And he gives us his assessment of his own future, very honestly. It's in verses 20 and 21. Look at these words. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life. Or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So, this isn't just theological talk. And Paul is not just talking about death in general. He's talking about his death. And he says it's at least a pretty high probability, given his current circumstances, that it's going to be soon. And so, here's the question. What does that do to his joy? Where where do you scrape up joy? And how how come Paul doesn't seem to be scraping but singing? Remember that fourth verse? I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. So here, here's what I see in this amazing passage. Remember, remember, Paul never intended to go to Philippi initially. He didn't want that destination on his map. Wasn't his plan. Now, 10 years later, as he faces from prison his likely impending death, The people at Philippi, the ones he didn't want to go see in the first place, they have become the source of his greatest joy. Remember, I said when you commit yourself to obedience, the second point, God commits himself to your joy even when you can't see the joy in your first steps. Look what's happened to Paul. These people are his delight. These people are now his comfort. These people, the people of Philippi, the people he never planned to go see in the first place, have become his greatest joy. See, that's God. This unexpected joy. It's the richest kind. Like you, I miss those times. Oh, man, Sunday, Big crowd singing great hymns with all the band and instruments and worship team. Everyone raising their voices. I can remember one of my favorite hymns, All the Way My Savior Leads Me. And right in the middle of it, there's that strange line, gushing from the rock before me, lo, a spring of joy I see. And I'm always, whenever I'm singing that song, Tom's maybe leading it, and I'm usually standing down there in the front row. And I always think, boy, I wish there was a way of just stopping right now and explaining the meaning of that to people who might be visiting, maybe with very little church background. What is this spring of joy coming from a rock? And, and of course, the hymn writer captures that historic account of where God tells Moses to speak to the rock. People are thirsty. Speak to the rock in the dry desert wilderness. The Israelites are dying of thirst. And the lesson is Moses speaks to the rock and out of that rock comes gushing water. And, and, and the lesson is God can produce life-giving resources and joy in places where you don't think anything can be scraped up and found. That's what that's about. So what's the lesson in Paul's joyful discovery at Philippi? What can I plug into my life? What can you plug into your life right now during this quarantine? Here's the great life lesson for all of us. Living for God's will rather than my own, making his goals, my goals, even if it goes against my first impressions, it will pay back my life with an abiding joy that can't be threatened or removed even in the face of the loss of everything else. You know what I think? I think if Paul were standing here today, I think he would put the question to people like me very directly. And he'd say, Don, looking back over this past week, from what sources have you been seeking your deepest joy? That's the issue, isn't it? Don, what's been motivating your heart's joy this week? What's been motivating yours? Maybe maybe you're, you're back at the job. Is it profit at work? Is it the hope of a promotion? Is it some material gadget or possession? Is it some form of entertainment? Is it some investment? Is it the thrill of some physical accomplishment? Is it getting back to the gym or the health club? Was it the buzz of some personal success where you didn't know you had it in you? There's nothing wrong with any of those things. but But none of them alone, nor all of them together can secure your life in lasting joy. Only living for God through Jesus Christ and his Lordship day by day, only that can produce joy. Point number three. Joy comes from putting the gospel first. I get that in verses three through five. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you Always in every prayer of mine for you all. Making my prayer with joy. And then the connector. Always read the connectors. Because. So this is related to the joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel. From the first day until now. That important word in verse 5. Because. It makes specific the. Cause of Paul's joy. So it's got a fountain, it has a source. And Paul thanks God for these believers, prays for them every day. But it's the reason that he prays with such joy. I think it's obvious from the tone of this whole letter that Paul dearly loved the people of this church. The whole letter, his words are warm. They're a little less formal than, say, Ephesians or Galatians or Colossians. A little less formal. But he doesn't just pray for them just because he likes them. I mean, he does. But he prays for them with such joy because they share his passion. They have a, a partnership in the gospel. You can see it right there. This is the only church, on record at least, this is the only church that ever shared their finances with Paul, as far as we know. So, so there's a chain of events here that we mustn't lose sight of. Paul had no idea he would have such a special relationship with these people 10 years ago. He had no idea. They weren't in his plans. But that man in that strange night vision, waving his arms, begging Paul to come over to Macedonia, he knew the blessing in store, not just for those people in Philippi, but for Paul. Paul finds this unbelievable joy in obeying the call of God, which he hadn't planned. So so that's the first link in the chain of joy. And, And now something else happens. Paul finds a second link of joy in the fact that these Philippian believers were now just as committed to spreading the gospel as Paul was. So here's another life lesson. Here's here's what you and I can start sowing into our lives for however many years we have, what we can sow in our lives right now for our still future joy in the Lord. Here it is. Deepest joy comes from putting the gospel first in the receiving of it and the telling of it. Deepest joy comes putting the gospel first. There is no joy in putting the gospel second. There is no joy in putting the gospel third. There is no joy in making the gospel a hobby. But we, we can think sacrificing our time and effort and money for the gospel, we can think it takes joy out of our lives. Paul says, no, 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 no. It's what puts joy in. Find people who put the gospel first and get into the boat with them. Pray with them, share your heart and soul with them. No one will make you happier than they when you share their commitment. Now, the Apostle Paul, of course, he's long gone now physically from this earth, but the gospel isn't. I mean, the gospel is still being taken to the world. So so let's find out. What Elia and Janet Banshee need in Siberia. Let's find out what challenges Adrian and Sharon Thomas are facing in the Dominican Republic. And all the other ministries. All the other missionaries. Why? And here's the important point. Why should we do that? And it's not to make them joyful. It's to make us joyful. Here's my conviction. Churches that don't put the gospel first, even if they're huge churches, will never be joyful churches. I'm convinced of it. Do you know why? Do you know why churches still fight and squabble over whether dress should be formal or casual? Do you know why Christians bark and wrangle over whether they should sing hymns or choruses or both? Do you know why congregations get up in arms over moderate changes in programs and adjustments? I'll tell you why. It's because they have nothing big to think about. Churches will always be small and petty and driven by silly fads that come and go if the engines driving the church and uniting the church are small. So, so the urgent need for Cedarview, for all churches, is to get people of all ages, all styles, all economic backgrounds, all ethnic backgrounds, to get people putting the gospel first, sharing the gospel first. That's where the joy is. Goodness knows we've tried everything else. Churches have pretty well covered every base imaginable, trying to keep everybody happy. We'll offer every style of worship, find every time slot so that no one's inconvenienced, find messages so that no one's offended. We offer seminars on every subject of the planet. And it's sharing the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, For all of our effort, it's not easy keeping everybody happy. We all know that. We never will. Not until we stop looking at our own tastes, our own preferences, and turning our whole lives and all our energies to sharing in the gospel. You can't build strong churches around little trends. But, but people can become joyfully knit together together. When they point their lives not at each other at all, but toward the gospel of Jesus Christ. What a great letter. When you you see Paul focusing on the will of God that he never planned on in the first place. And how God committed to his joy when he was committed to obedience in all circumstances and the joy that comes in putting the gospel first and sharing it passionately, that that's where our joy grows and mushrooms and expands. So there's the heartfelt theology, remember, from an isolated prisoner. Let's pray, church. There's so much here, Lord, in this wonderful letter. And and we're just grateful that we have the opportunity to study it and to apply it to our lives and apply it to our church. We love your word. It's, It's the engine for everything else in our lives and in our church. Draw all of our hearts, Lord, to the lordship of Jesus, whether it seems convenient or inconvenient. And give us great joy Give us great joy in embracing the gospel, declaring the gospel, and in sharing the gospel. In Jesus' name I pray and thank you. Amen. Amen. Tonight we're going to take a little break from uh, APD. Doesn't mean we'll never do it again, but just for a little while we're going to be studying the book of Jonah, When Life Swallows You Whole. Uh, Jonah, 630 as we do that study together. And Jeff and Renata Walton, they'll be sharing our missionaries and uh, before our prayer time tonight as well. God bless the church. Stay devoted to the word. Love one another.